2: Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyers Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora ora, Mawira. How's it going today?
1: It's going really well, thanks. How's it going with you?
2: All good, all good. So, who have you got for us today?
1: Today, it is my pleasure to introduce Matt Tukaki, who is the uh, chair of the New Zealand Māori Council. Um, and somebody who I hold in extremely high regard for his incredible contribution that he makes to our world. I am grateful for his existence. So that's a really nice thing for me to be able to say, actually. While I say it, I, I feel, yeah, I'm, I feel really lucky um, when I consider the work that Matt will talk to us about today, um, the, the huge value of that and the massive inroads that he's been able to make. Um, I've, over the time that I've been uh, following his work, so yeah, I'm um, I feel really honored God, uh, and welcome, and thanks for joining us. Matt.
3: Jordan, Good to be with you, and, and thank you. You'll make a middle overweight Māori blush, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely <laughs> overweight thanks to the lockdown, I would also strongly argue. <laughs> Before There's that, slim. <laughs> <laughs> well, those 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 teenage years, eh? I mean, that, and you can see that, um, uh, um you know, well, as we do a messenger call, um, my white hair is now blending naturally into the back white wall. <laughs> because <laughs> if, it's one, if, it's, if it's one thing that lockdown has taught me, it is make sure you get your Grecian 2000 um, hair dye from the pack and save before it flies off the shelves during your crisis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, where are you? So, I, um, I'm I at home in Auckland. Uh, we live in, in Tauki, Um But uh, as many people um, know, I think they know, um, I, I would otherwise be commuting uh, between Sydney and, and Auckland every week. So, like I, I mentioned before, you know, some people get a car to work or a, or a bus or a train, I, I get a plane. Uh, so, I would normally divide my time three days in Australia and four days in New Zealand. Um, and that um, was a well-oiled machine. Um, it, it was a perfect thing. So tomorrow morning, as an example, I would have been at the airport um, in Auckland by, say, let's, let's say about 5 in the morning. Um, NZ101 would carry me off to Sydney um, for the 7 a.m. flight. Um, and I would be in my office um, by about 8.45 in the morning at the latest because the time no difference. And so it was a well-oiled machine. Uh, now I um, have uh, being based in one place or one location. I've had to get familiar with using all this technology stuff, the whole Zoomy thing, and and, um, and, and stuff like that. And even just setting up the the, um, the the home office, it's kind of like resembles behind me the um, the front of the Starship Enterprise, all the fancy buttons and panels and things uh, you've you've got to you've got to do. But the the other thing too is because I um, I manage uh, a lot of different hats. Um, you know, obviously, the had some people me before in New Zealand, but in Australia, um, we have a national mentoring work, um, network for Aboriginal men. Uh, we also run employment programs for Indigenous people as well. Uh, and then, and uh, of course, I, uh, as my day swings through the afternoon, um, I, uh, I have connecting calls with um, my teams in, in Canada and also in um, in Europe. So. Well, people see me as, as the face of the New Zealand Māori Council, which I'm really happy to do. Um, of course, that's not the day job, as many people <laughs> say. Um, and, and so I've got probably about 30-odd tasks during, during my average day. That I have to mention. But the positive thing is, um, it's become a lot easier. Um, even though I, I, I hate technology, but the, you know I, I'm one of those guys that collect stamps. I'm a stamp collector. There you go. You probably haven't met a met a stamp collector around um, like me before. Um, and so, you know, I I really enjoy writing letters and sending letters off. But my goodness, um, emails and uh, and um, and Facebook messages and texts and things like that. Um, apparently I, I must get used to a lot more because I think um, I think our, our world has changed for good, you know. Mind you, it now takes about, what, a year to receive a letter that you post from Auckland for um, your home address in Auckland, that's <laughs> the New <Yeah>. Zealand Post, <laughs> or, you know. <laughs> so, so there you go, I'm based In a roundabout way, that's a long way of ask, answering the question, I'm, I'm based in Auckland. I come from an island off the coast of Mount Mongano called Makakana Island. Um, I like to say the last bastion and sovereign nation in the uh, in the country. Um, I know my fan. I love it when I say that on here. Uh, and um, but grew up in in, uh, in Upper Hutt um, at the back um, of um which is towards the Rumataka Range. Uh, so there you go. That's that's where I'm from.
2: What did you want to be when you grew
3: up? Oh gosh, um, I wanted to be a pharmacist. I wanted to be a chemist. Um, now I'm not going to say why I wanted to be a pharmacist or a chemist because. <laughs> because it's probably a bit naughty now but um but that's what i wanted to be but i i was never academically inclined though um i um i was more into let's just say pursuits of entrepreneurial means uh and um and i didn't even finish school i i didn't even get still see english for crying out that um and if you hadn't said to me you know years later that i'd end up being the the global head of drake you know the, the world's biggest employment company or spending four years as Australia's representative at the UN or whatever it is, even Māori Council things, they would have you got rocks in your heavy bullets. Um, but um, that's <laughs> that entrepreneurial beat, uh, that storytelling technique that a lot of Māori had, but they don't necessarily apply it the way I chose to apply it. So you know, I wanted to be a pharmacist or a chemist, and then I just fell through. Um, oh, actually, no, that's not a lie. That, 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 that's a lie, I, I didn't fall through. Um, I, I basically seized opportunities as they presented, um, or alternatively, I just made up the opportunities myself. I mean, hell, why not, right? Let's
2: take exactly. the, let's seize the opportunity then to play your first music selection. Which one should we have first?
3: Oh, Puppy um, Hucker" by um, by uh, um, uh, the Thin Boys is just my ultimate favourite song, um, and for me, it, it has been for, since I was a um, since, since it was first played on the air. Uh, it, it resembles to me the struggle of Marty um, to be truly um not not dependent but independent and and gives us that rich history where parihaka came from um so i uh parihaka let's
0: go for that one
4: Up, defend yourself, never give in. Look to the sky, the spirit of death, the endless time. of okay. okay.
2: It's quite an uplifting song for dealing with a pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. Never defeated, rise up, never give in, but also the spirit of non-violence.
3: Well, yeah. well, well that's right. I mean, you know, we're, we're confronting this issue in the United States, as we do um, periodically about Black Lives Matter. I mean, I would strongly argue um, that the, the resistant movement, resistance movement of, of Māoridom and the will world, going right back to Parihaka and more, um, uh, has, has, was the original Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it was peaceful, um, it was non-violent, um, but uh, obviously what happened was, was shameful from the other side. Um, but you know, here we are also in this pandemic, um, and there was a huge amount of criticism, mostly from right-wing idiots, let's face it, um, when it came to the rahui and the lockdowns in our communities. Well, I mean, it, it happened because we, uh, see, unlike other New Zealanders, Māori do not forget. Uh, that can be a good thing and it can also be a bad thing. You know, sometimes we can get so mired in what we call mumuai or grief um, that we tend to forget what the future holds and the opportunities that it holds. But the thing the thing with the Rahi, we, we remember what happened up in over up in Northland um, and right around the country, and just how many of our whānau were killed. Uh, and so uh, when we moved to lock down those communities, it wasn't to impede um, freedom of movement necessarily by other New Zealanders, it was to protect our whānau. Uh, and, you know, Māori, the, the work that we have done right up and down the country when it comes to um, barahui, kai packs, um welfare checks, um, you know, food parcels, you, you name it, has been absolutely incredible. And, and unless I'm wrong, um, we have not had a single Māori death um, uh, as a result of COVID-19. Um, and in fact, the numbers in the north in particular, where I, where I was concerned about, and also the east coast, um, didn't happen. So there was a lot to be said um, for the way that Māori react to things. And it wasn't just providing support, obviously, just to Māori. It was um, providing support to non-Māori right across the community as well. I mean, um, it's just been an incredible experience. And I'm lucky because I've, I've got to see all of these things happen, um, you know, firsthand and and eyes open. My own um, people from Makakana Island, um, uh, of course, mind you, they rang me. I got a phone call from from somebody. He said to me, "Bro, bro, um, I've got a business plan." I said, "What's that, bro? What's that?" And he said, "Well, going to build a quarantine station on another island or oh somewhere." And then he said, "I said, how much will that cost?" He said, "A billion dollars." Yeah, oh there we are, material, my, <laughs> 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 my final. No. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they, you see, but the thing is, when, when they shut the island down, um, they they also made sure. Um, that um, you know enough food and supplies were coming on. Um, there were shopping trips across um, for everybody, not just a whole of people piling up on onto the barge. Um, and uh, and there seemed to also be this other thing that was happening. I, I think we came a, came um, a lot closer to each other and with each other um, during the lockdown period because um, it was centered around Aroha. Uh, so that's a positive as well.
1: There was um that was a thing I've been thinking, I've reflected on that a lot lately. It seemed that. This worked, the lockdown worked because we stopped thinking about ourselves and we started thinking about everybody else. So this mm. just wasn't about protecting yourself. This was about keeping everyone around you safe. And that is a big shift in mindset from from the way that our society has been working off late. Which So it's actually, it's a real, yeah, it's I mean, I, I think, a real money value, eh? We, we, we look at the big picture, we mm, look at mm, everybody. Mm our kaumatua because that's where our knowledge comes from we can we can protect our tamariki because they're the future it, we're just a cog in the wheel mm. and and it was neat to see our whole our whole community embrace that mindset
3: that, that's right i mean there, there were a whole lot of other things that, that that were going on that wasn't related to the health crisis necessarily of course the health, the health- Crisis created the operating environment through which we had to significantly change the way we live our lives, um, and and I would strongly argue, you know, we, the way we live, work, and play has, has changed um, quite immeasurably into the future. Um, but one of the things, one of, one of the byproducts, one of the very positive byproducts, um, was uh, manakitanga. Um, it was, um, you know, the the amount of upi that was going on around the moor was was incredible. Um, but but more importantly, we we we've begun to appreciate each other just a little bit more and we've got a long way to go i mean there are some terrible statistics around um regarding domestic violence and mental health and i'm genuinely worried about um mental health and and um and suicide prevention the weeks and months ahead uh, but um you know one of the things that i've noticed is we, we pick up the phone a lot more to each other um uh being apart has drawn us closer together ironically enough um, and, and even me, you know, Friday afternoons, um, I, I would be in Sydney, for example, um, every couple of weeks on a Friday afternoon. And we'd um, catch up at Club Redfern um, with the boys and we'd have a couple of beers and a, and a putt. I know that's probably politically incorrect to say these days, but nevertheless, we did. Um, and uh, for a whole lot of rather uh, older uh, people, um, we, uh, we took to zoo like, like, a, like a fish to water. And here we were. We'd set up our little karaoke machine. I put the big uh, the races on the TV, uh, and here we were in each other's bubbles by by uh, you know through technology. And I, I tell you, I tell you the funny thing about um, middle-aged men when they get together around a pub table that has has uh, moved into the online world as well so nothing really changes this distance has the start so we still um you know talk about uh what dosage our blood pressure medication is uh we still talk about um you know what we promised to do last week that we haven't quite done that is the same as we promised three years ago to our <laughs> wives and partners uh, and, and so that was really quite cool um and the other thing that, that, I, uh, that I learned because i love to control the buttons when it comes to the music they all had to listen to my music, and they couldn't stop. <laughs> uh, so, you know, all my all my 70s hits, a couple of mid- middles were belted out, and, and, uh, and, and all the rest of it. Um, so we, we remained connected through different means, but we appreciated um, each other a lot more. And, and hopefully when the and bubble opens, um, you know, I'll get to see all my mates again. I've already been on the road here in New Zealand, down to Te Arawa, Kodong Moana um in the in the last week um just getting around our districts and i mean the other thing too that i thought just didn't work um i was really worried so on saturday we had the big national hui of the maori council the the big big one um and uh and i was worried that all the buttons wouldn't work people would be you know um running around with the mute button off and everything was going to go crazy it was a well-oiled machine it was quite quite incredible and in fact um (laughs) You know, Marty, who They take so long, they just take so bloody long, you've got to do the cut care, you gotta you do gotta do the doing a A for tanga can take a whole day, not metal. Um but my goodness, we started at nine nine uh, sorry, nine o'clock in the morning, we were finished on time at four o'clock, and I'm thinking, wow, we should we should do that a lot more often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, the other thing that I think is really cool is you you, you get to see um each other's homes, eh? Um, you know, uh, um, the, the background is on an office background, um, uh, you know, the number of people that are just sitting on their couch, although some people do need to make sure they put their bloody pants on, um, but you, know, you get an insight, <laughs> a beautiful insight into people's homes. Um, for example, uh, my, uh, my um, cousin, Tanil Tukaki down there in Motorua used to hate uh, my kitties on my, on my wall. Uh, and she used to rub me up and say, Oh, you got them from a two-dollar shop, which is not too far from the truth. Um, but <laughs> I use them as my I, I use them as my papers, my that put my papers in. Anyway, so all of a sudden, um, because she had she'd seen actually seen my my home office, um, all of a sudden these two beautiful taonga um, that you see on the back I picked up last week. Um, one of them from um, uh, flax and shells made from Garolinkarin. So you get this this you know, this this insight into the way People's lives are. Um, although I did have a book um, out the other day um, uh, to do with Rob Muldoon, and all of a sudden people were accusing me of being a, of being a national supporter. What? <laughs> no, no, I, just bought it. I, I I got it because it was in that cheap bit. Uh, and, and I thought, well, you know, and I, I remember hearing that he was a, a member, a, a, an honorary member of the mongrel Mobile, and Black Power, or whatever it was. So I just bought the book. Anyway, here it is sitting, and here it was sitting innocent, innocently on my desk. And um, all of a sudden, I'm a card carrying member of the National Party, which could not be further from the truth. <laughs> uh, so I, I consciously now think to myself, oh, make sure that sort of stuff is not on the, on the desk or can't be seen and, and things like that. But um, oh, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Liesl Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer, and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown.
0: Hi there everybody, hope you are having a great old day, yeah that's the kind of day I hope you're having Um, and it's Liesl here just having a chat with you from my lovely spot in the city just uh, enjoying the slow changing of seasons as we're coming into winter and isn't it nice that we're actually able to be free to roam around in the slightly cooler brisk air and um enjoy our beautiful city because i think far out we are lucky to live in new zealand for a start but aren't we lucky to live in dunedin it's such a beautiful spot here and uh i think there's been some interesting social media recently hasn't there around dunedin in terms of uh A little bit of a new uh, slant on the tourism sector and how to attract people to Dunedin. And I know the new slogan has been attracting some interest, controversy, a little bit of conversation and debate around whether we're a a good plan D or not. (laughs) And to be honest, weirdly, it's kind of growing on me, which I think all things do, don't they? Once you uh, are exposed to things a little bit, your first reaction might be, oh, that's just terrible. I don't like it at all. And often that's kind of our reaction when we just haven't seen anything for the first, or we haven't seen something um, and we see it for the first time and then as we digest it we uh, start to accept it um, and sometimes even grow to like it. I find that with music actually, I don't know about anyone else, but um, when people sort of say to me, oh what's your favourite genre or do you really like a particular kind of music, I'm a bit reluctant to have a favourite I guess, but actually I find it really hard to not like music so I find if I don't like something it's usually just because I've never heard it before and if I uh, listen to it a few times I start to get familiar with it and so it makes me wonder do we really like something because we're moved by it and I think in some cases yes that is why we like it but I think a lot of the time we just like and dislike based on whether we're comfortable with something or not. So if it's similar to what we know we like it. If it's different or it disrupts us a little bit or it's not our usual sort of thing that we uh, like to in the case of music listen to um, we have a reaction. We say oh that's a bit strange or that doesn't sound like stuff that I've listened to before and I think if you sort of take that out a little bit further in terms of our world today and again there's some pretty um, interesting news out there at the moment in terms of sort of heightened tensions in countries like um, America and I think that we need to pay heed to these things we need to listen because um, we are in no position here in New Zealand to take a moral high ground on racism I think uh, everybody in every country but particularly people of um, European descent need to take a look and think about the way that we view our world because there is privilege that uh, some people live with and take for granted and just happen to be lucky enough shall we say I guess um, to be born into that position um, and those people who are born into the bodies they're born into everyone is born into the body that they're born into without really getting any say in that so again it's like I think a lot of the underlying sort of uh, feelings around racism is usually the unknown it's when it's different from what you know or uh, somebody looks different from you or it's not a culture that you're familiar with And I think, again, the more that we just kind of try to break down some of those sort of barriers to other human beings, because we are all human beings, um, the better. And so that comes from a place of being kind, exposing yourself to difference, thinking about how it might not be as scary as you think it might be. And, you know, as we're coming out of our bubbles and starting to make contact with people again, it's really important that we uh, we maybe grow our bubble knowledge to expand out there to people that maybe we haven't connected with before. And I think the more we can be aware that there's some people in the world that live with incredible discrimination and some people live with none of those same uh, sort of issues, never have to deal with the, some of the things that um, people of colour in particular have to deal with. So that's my topical thoughts for today, getting a little bit heavy, but trying to just be aware that we all need to be kind to each other. So we'll continue that message and hope you have a lovely bubble day.
2: So of all the things you've seen, societal change level things you've seen in the last couple of months, Mm. what do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick?
3: Well, I can tell you the headbangers aren't going to uh, well behave. Uh, I mean, my goodness, during the lockdown, the the, the lack of noise was wonderful. We could actually hear the birds. Um, so we're in, we're in um, Auckland Central, um, so you could literally hear the birds still singing. You could hear the tuis and, and all the rest of it. Uh, but then, of course, that came at, when we got out of level two or into level two, and all of a sudden the headbangers came with their stereos, turned up loud in their cars um but um I, so I think i think that behavior we you know I, I, would have, I would have hoped that we were more respectful um about people's space and and um people's feelings but I, I think that might be um a little bit of a challenge with some of these younger people in particular um the the, the one thing that i do hope does stick though is that caring attitude look here's the thing i mean i, I chaired suicide convention australia for eight years um and has heavily involved in mental health and still am And one of the things that really worries me is that um, this whole um, uh, you know how do i put it this new world that we find ourselves in um, See, suicide is not about mental health necessarily it's about the daily struggle of life you know Um, relationship breakdowns job losses um, financial insecurity and these are all the things that we're going to be experiencing now Uh, and so my hope is that we are a little bit more concerned about people's well-being um, and, um, and stay connected with them and reach out and make phone calls and, and all of these different things in between. So that's the part that I, I, I really worry about. Um, the one thing that I do hope does stick is also our care for the natural environment. I mean you you might have seen, you seen the, the reports about um, you know Venice, for example. I mean my, I've been to Venice and it's a filthy place, uh, mainly because of tourists dumping crap all over the place. Um, but then you come back home, New Zealand's not necessarily a clean country either. You know, our waterways are degraded, all of these different things. So, you know, my hope is that as as Mother Nature and Papa Tuanuku took a bit of a um, a breather um, from us and a foot from that we leave off, um, I'm hoping that attitude uh, that, that attitude within us changes, you know. So um long may the birds sing and we can hear them.
1: Bubble sprite of the forest of Oracunui, Diliden's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie.
5: Kia ora koutou, aroha nui kia koutou I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I'm very excited, as I'm sure you all are, for us to be returning in some way, at some time, to level one. And of course, when we speak about level one, we are talking about this cherished vision of what our previous lives were like but i hope that we will be bringing with us into this cherished vision many of the learnings that we have enjoyed along this journey and i thought it would be an opportune time for us to talk about visions and dreams and fantasies and realities and working together and how we can achieve this new consensus reality that we're all contributing wonderful things to at all times. So it has been a wonderful eye opener for me being part of the Otakonui Eco Sanctuary vision for the last 11 years and this is a dream which started actually more than 30 years ago when the Otago Natural History Trust first got together and they really wanted to bring back all of these endangered species that have been lost to the Otakonui Valley like tuatara, like kiwi, all of these species that had become locally extinct and many people thought this was a fantasy, many people thought this would never ever happen and you know why were they even wasting their time thinking about this you know Um, but they persevered and they kept this dream alive in their hearts and over time actually all these amazing shifts took place which made it possible for this dream to come true and some of those were technological shifts like the exclude fence around Karori Eco Sanctuary which is now Zealandia, being developed and this was not a technology that was thought of at the time when the trust first got together and key players key people came and got involved who had wonderful skills to make this dream a reality, one of whom was the wonderful late Diane Campbell-Hunt who had a lot of experience with engaging the community and had done this up in Wellington with Karori. She moved down here to do her PhD on eco-sanctuaries and she started that whole community consultation process down here. So if those things hadn't happened, there's no way Orokanui would be the living dream that it is now and what really brought it from a fantasy that didn't materialize to this cherished dream that has come true and is still coming true is that vision, that vision that united everyone, that everyone built together and what Diane did was she got all, all the very diverse members of the community together she held all these community meetings in Waitati and all the way out to the peninsula. and She got everyone together and she said, what do you want? What do you love? What do you know? How can you help? What do you envision for this eco-sanctuary? What would you love to see? And by doing this and by involving everyone and bringing everyone's shared dreams and hopes and aspirations and visions into play and combining them all into one unifying vision everyone got on board and this is really why otaku happened and it's really why otaku has survived and i think this is important for us going forward in terms of our new consensus reality it's very important that we engage with everybody in our community and we say what do you love what do you want what do you feel has been lost that you want to bring back what do you feel you want to reintroduce from what you have learned over this time in lockdown it's a very exciting process and by forming this vision together that unites us i feel we will be able to make those most cherished dreams that we hold within our heart for our shared future come true and I know we can do this. Otokonoi proves this to me every single day, and I'm so happy that we're back open to the public now, and we can inspire ourselves and each other to even greater heights. And I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you so much, Go Kaki.
2: Going into this this period, this lockdown, I think we're well positioned mm. in terms of the you're you talking about looking at wellness and um, well being. We've gone into it with a focus on kindness, well-being is driving our policy at the moment. And we've seen so far, at least, that it seems to be working, that it seems to be you can actually base policy on the notion of kindness. It's not just some flag that we wave. It, it, it seems to work as a as a direction for us.
3: Yeah, look, I, I think I think you're right. Um, but then again, you know, within the stream of government, it has also been that um, that focus on on reducing poverty, particularly childhood poverty, um, and so that, that that degree of kindness and, and government policy has been there for a while now. Um, of course, um, it's going to be amplified by the fact that we're going to see a lot more people in poverty as a result of job losses and the economy slowing and, and, and being in recession, all that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, the 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 troubling thing is um, is for a long time we've become less um uh inclined to knock on the neighbor's door even though we may not know them, just to say hello so as a country we've become this victim of the fast-paced nature of life uh you know get in the car and scream down the highway toot the horn if somebody's a little bit slow getting off the market the red light um you know pushing your trolley through um the the aisles of the supermarket like a mad person you know all of these different things we, we've become so focused on the consumer side um, of life um, that we've forgotten about the human side um, of life, uh, and I think that's where we we need to be now. Whether or not that um, that kindness message prevails, uh, um, you know, um, I would I would hope so. What do you think we
2: can learn from how we've responded to this crisis, for the mm. the slow burn crisis crises, climate change, biodiversity collapse, social injustice? Can, can we learn from, from these responses?
3: Uh, look, I think we can, and it comes through um, better planning. I mean, you know, the, the problem with the pandemic is you're responding to something in the moment. Um, it, of course, no one can plan for a pandemic and how to respond um, quite like the world has, uh, you know, even though we've learned some lessons from the Spanish flu, um, from SARS, um, from swine flu, all of these different things. So, so New Zealand has, has responded remarkably well. Um, a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that we did go hard and go fast, um, and we're also an island nation at the same time, so we can shut those borders. Um, unlike the the debacle that is um, is Europe and, and Russia, free, uh, just out of, out of uh, as an example. So we we did we did that really really well. The problem is though um, that we, we need to make some hard decisions about where we go from here, particularly around our hospital infrastructure. Um, so it's highlighted the fact um, that we have a. AC- significantly overburdened bureaucratic system of health uh, in this country. Uh, and th- that might also mean that this is the opportunity to get rid of that DHB model um, and uh, move to a single national health service. Now, why that is so important is because, you know, one of the things that has been highlighted so far is while the Ministry of Health provided excellent leadership, we did have problems with DHVs, particularly in Waipākiri in um, in West Auckland. The other thing too, is when the, the PPE um, equipment um, was, uh, was moving down the line. A lot of it was held up at the DHB level before it was distributed out to um, the uh, the actual frontline service providers, whether they be GP clinics or um, or Māori whole water health services. The other thing that we also noticed in there was the inequity in, um, in, in how Payments to fund programs um, were being distributed. And I'll give you an example. Uh, so a lot of the programs um, that, uh, that you were seeing rolled out, everything from testing centres to the those well, some of that was being cash flowed up front by those providers. Now, those providers have tight budgets at the best of times, um, and there is some evidence beginning to emerge now that some of them still haven't been paid. So they're trying to cash flow all of this work, pay for all of this equipment on limited budgets and resources that they currently have, uh, including the inequity where we obviously have um, some nurses being paid um, uh, less for doing the same job um, as they would if they were employed directly by the hp So we have the government health system that is actually quite outsourced We've learned how to outsource many things in this country um, and uh, and i don't think that bodes well. Um, well. i'm going to be accepting the role as the chairman of the um, of the health monitoring group. Um, so we can have a look at all of the different things um, that have been going on during COVID-19, so we can plan for the future. Um, the other thing is, um, uh, we, you know, our system of aged care um, that highlighted a whole lot of different challenges. Also, our people were living with a disability, both intellectual and physical, uh, and, um, and and that plays um, hard on the mind as to whether or not we've got a system to, for the purpose. Now, all of that just means opportunity right? So we always knew that we had a problem with the health system and the way it was currently there. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been all these reviews, including the Simpson review that's currently underway. Uh, And so this is the opportunity to say, well, okay, um, where to from here? Um, Let's have a look at whether or not we can create a faster, more responsive health system, and not just primary health, but also secondary, tertiary and mental health as well. Um, And in terms of the other big issues um, with climate change and, and everything else, we still have a housing crisis in this country. Um, We still have 16,000 people on a state house waiting list. Uh, We still have entrenched poverty that will be amplified given what's going on. Um, We still have, uh, amongst Maori as well, the largest suicide rate of population in the Western world. Uh, And um, and obviously we still have high rates of domestic violence and so on and so forth. So, you know, if, if one was to look positively at the future, how do we do all this now in an operating environment that has has fundamentally changed and the prime minister has said it herself uh, or well i think she's used these words to this effect um you know let's be bold and, and be brave well actually let's be bolder and let's be braver um in addressing some of these these massive disparities out there and we're a very rich country you know we we are a very rich country globally compared to other nations um because of the way uh, that the prime minister has handled this this crisis with ashley bloomfield and um, i'll just say ashley and cinder at this stage i don't think the, the health minister deserves a, a, a ranking but the, the the thing is um you know uh, let's let's be bold and be braver um and how we might attack it uh, from here on in particularly as an economic crisis looms and and it doesn't matter who's managing the books the economic crisis was always going to happen
6: Summer's day Bringing gifts from far away, but it made it clear it couldn't stay, no horror was his home. I say the sale said bring me. Brandy walks through a silent town and loves a man who's not around. She still can hear him say, She hears him say, Brandy, you're gonna find a back.
2: So you have fingers and pies all over the place. Is there a mm. common mindset that you apply to all of those things?
3: Uh, well, there's two things. The first thing is I only do things I, I enjoy doing. I'm passionate about. Um, and you know, I, I came from a, a house where mum and dad worked two jobs each. Um, sometimes mum did three jobs. Um, you know, dad was a rubber worker, a plumber, and a gas sort working at the Dunlop tyre factory doing shift work. Um, and, um, and mum was pouring pints at the RSA in Upper Hut, um, Made so more on the weekends as uh, you know, we at the cafe there and, and doing driver's licenses for the Ministry of Transport. I'll, I'll never forget mum, and mum hates me saying this, but you know, mum would come home during the week and, and, um, and she'd smell a beer during the week and donuts in the week after the cafe. Uh, but they worked really hard and, and we didn't have much. Um, and so the, the, the premise was if you wanted more. You have to work hard to go out there and get that. But you should only do things you believe in and things that, um, that feel good. Uh, and I think a lot of people chase success. Eh? and they, they say, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to make all this money. Well, actually, money is a peripheral um, element of success. You can only do, you can only make money. You can only be successful. If you're successful, at something. You know, anyone can go out there and make a claim they're going to make all this money, but you've got to be successful at something. The, the second thing is um, now that I'm a little bit older um, in, in life, uh, you know, you spend those those early years making it up as you go along. Um, you know, you, you seize moments, you knock down doors, you um, you take the opportunity, or make it up. And then, then after a while, what happens is you, you, you become that person that's done most things and, <laughs> and it becomes, oh, oh, I'm not making it up anymore, am I? It just just comes naturally to you. Um, And so the way I explain it is, um, and I never knew I used to do this um, when I was a little bit younger, Um, But I used to think through things methodically. Um, What is a practical, logical approach one can take to solving a problem? Um, We all know, and I do not advocate swallowing elephants, but we all know that, you know, how do you solve a big problem? Well, you swallow it in chunks, uh, the elephant in chunks sort of thing. And so there's a a process I go through um, called um, cognitive thinking um, and controlled iterative um, management. Um, So I normally try and produce things that are in steps um, and then I will go and knock each step off in succession. Um, I will not move to the next step until I've succeeded. at The first will be the one I'm working on at the, at the time. And, and I'll give you an example. I mean, suicide prevention, um, I fell into that um, when my best friend Justin took his life um, and trying to then go on a journey of, um, of, of searching for answers and all the rest of it. I found a system that was inherently broken in Australia. And so I used the same process and method. How do we change... Um, the system so you know your people take their lives. Um, and the first step was how why not a Senate inquiry into suicide in Australia? <laughs> um, and that would give me instant information about how I could go about you know knocking different chunks off recommendations. There were 46 recommendations in that report and so that became my my step process, recommendation one, followed by two, followed by three, and, and so on and so forth. So that's how I go about um, knocking knocking the bugger off.
2: I have some questions for us to end with. Mm. And yeah, enough time to do them all. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years?
3: Uh, first thing, oh, first big. be the only big success um, that, that I really bank on um, the reforms of suicide in Australia. Um, I never imagined I would ever be in that in that role. Uh, I fell into it because of those personal circumstances. Um, and um, and I guess the thing for me uh, is that while it's still challenging to look at the numbers. Um, every life you save, is um, the potential for a life well lived, um, and, and that really motivates me. So we've got a lot, we've got a long way to go. I mean, I I'm I'm one of the biggest supporters in the world um, when it comes to zero suicide within the health system. Um, I'm hoping that is the next um, um, path that the sector, both in New Zealand and Australia and globally, goes through. Um, but every life that you save, um, or or that others save in their work, my God, it, it's, it's just a it's just a huge, um, how do I put it, um, amount
2: of love that streams through you. Yeah. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's also called Mawera's Doctrine. So it's a book about the, the team of people doing good work. So you're in our mansion. Mm. What's the superpower that got you there?
3: Oh, I don't know if this is a superpower. Um, unabated lack of fear. Uh, i have absolutely no fear um i will not you know i i, I say it, now that i'm middle-aged right and, and and this is what happens in middle age you start paying for your tummy, and the reason you do that is because you're halfway through now you know before um you had all this time in the world you'd go out partying until midnight you would have, yeah have an absolute ball um you were you, you you um uh were okay with risks and, and you also had fear uh, you know, sorry, no fear. What's happened with me is, as I've continued that 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 um, that no fear attitude, and that extends to politicians and, and people in and and um, decision-making roles. You know, don't 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 get me babble, don't get me fluff mumble, don't carry on like an idiot. Um, I, I have I have I have breath in me, and it is expended every time an idiot tries to tell me some boohah. Now, you, they, they famously um, said to the former health minister Jonathan Coleman. Um, down there in, in the beehive, and I kicked all his staff and his policy officers out. I said, look here, son, don't be telling me that that is a unicorn flying past your beehive window crapping a rainbow. Let's not do that, because every second that we spend with your nonsense and those idiots out the back there um, is sucking life away, and, and if you don't be careful, I'm going to start invoicing you for my life. <laughs> so there is... Said, oh, yes, I do. I have done that. I have seen a politician in, um, in Canada actually, an invoice for wasting my, my oxygen. So, and of course, he, he, he contacted me and he said to me, Well, you know, what do you expect me to do? What do you expect me to do with this invoice? He said, and I said, Pay it, otherwise I'll send you the debt collector. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> but the, uh, the, you know, that unabated fear. Um, what are they going to do? Sack me, lock me up, throw away the key? I'll just use a teaspoon to jiggle out the stone in the wall and get out. I mean, what do you want to do?
2: Do you consider yourself to be an activist?
3: Oh yes, I hope so. I hope other people might see me as an activist. I'd love to have that title. Um, but I don't compare we don't. People, <laughs> I don't compare <laughs> with people called, you know, like Lady Picker Evans or you know, all of those amazing, particularly Marty Wahini that, that have done so so well over the years. um activists I would hope sorry I'd really enjoy I'm gonna get a business card with that that, that title after to see what happens um, uh, but I, I probably um, I'd also like to to reflect on being a humanist though you know it's a it's a um, long forgotten title that we should all aspire to if we could just be a little bit more human uh, and a little bit uh, a lot less cold um, then then that would satisfy me immensely
2: so what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning
3: death motivates. me. Uh, and I know that might seem a strange thing to say, but the reality is we have a limited time um, on this on this round blue orb called um, called Earth, um, and we have got to make as every moment count as possible, you know. Um, so death um, death motivates me, um, and if I get it right, I'm hoping that a whole lot of people turn up at the tangi, sing some songs and have a ball. Um, but no, it, it is that we have limited time, um, let's let's not muck around um, being harmful to each other and um, even harmful to self, that's, that's my belief.
2: So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so?
3: Well, uh, I want to see, um, so th- these are my five big things, right? my five big things. Number one, um, I want to see affordable housing, not just for Māori but all New Zealanders. So all this Kiwi build stuff has got to go. Uh, we've got to make it faster um, and cheaper um, to bring houses to market, especially for low-income families. Um, so that's the first big one. Um, and I'm working on that one now, um, including a, a first home um, buyer's grant that could be matched by the government too. Um, the second one is I want to see more of our young people, um, again, all young people, not just Māori, but Māori is my co-papa. Um, I would love to see more of our young people move into digital futures. Um, you know, we've just announced $50 million in terms of trade training, which uh, I, I happily push for. Um, but but um, what does a trade mean in this new future world? Um, digital technology, broadcasting, content development, all those sorts of things. Now, if we do that, that means that we can see growth um, and a movement in growth in wages from the lower side of the economy to the higher rate of growth. And that means that people can afford to save for a house and so on and so forth. And the third one, which is going to be my ambition for the next five years, um, is I want to see the suicide rate at a minimum um, come significantly down in this country, particularly um, across uh, Māori males um, over the age of 20. Um, that is going to take a significant effort, but I'm sure we can do that. Um, and I've got some plans to introduce things like Yarning Circles, and uh, we'll be launching our um, first How to Have a Conversation app um, in a couple of weeks. So that's that's the, the third one. The fourth one um, that I'm looking for is I want to see pay equity for our Māori nurses. Um, Māori nurses get paid as much as 25% less. Um, than the same nurses working at the DHB who ultimately contract the Māori nurses through another means anyway. There's no reason why we can't have pay equity, particularly for Māori women, um, and not just um, in, in nursing roles, but also in social work roles as well. Social work, Māori social workers are pay less. Um, again, using the same method and formula. And I think the biggest one um, I, I would love to see, and I hope I'm going to motivate them um, is I, wanna, I want more of our young people to take on leadership. You know, the days of the old men on the pie um have to come to an end thank you for your service we have loved your contribution um but take a rest um and uh, let's develop our young people so they can be our future leaders um you know i, I don't necessarily want to see more lawyers <laughs> but what i do want to see um is i want to see our kids our young people take take the pie a lot earlier than they they otherwise would so that my f- my top five things but of course there are 43 things I'm working on so we, we may not have time to talk about the other the other 38.
2: No we don't. <laughs> Lastly do you have any <laughs> advice for our listeners?
3: Yeah um, the, the, only, look, look, the the best piece of advice um, I, I could give uh, is uh, there are things you you may at this time think there's nothing you can do about your situation um, but the, the truth of the matter is you have every opportunity to change your own universe and your own world. Um, sometimes you just have to dust yourself off, pick yourself up, um, and jump back on that horse again. Um, and you don't have to be young to do that. I mean, my God, I've had so many iterations in my career, mainly because I don't like people telling me what I can and can't can and can't and do. Um, but um, I, I, who knows? There might be another iteration in my career in, in, in 20 years' time. So, so my advice is just dust yourself off, pick yourself up, and give it a crack. What do they say in Australia? Give it a red-hot go. And
2: build that Lego. (laughs) (laughs) Mawera, any closing thoughts?
1: No, I think that Matt nailed it, really. I can't add to that. That was brilliant. Perfect. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their safe spaces, their bubbles around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us in all the poddy sorts of places. We've had contributions from Tahu Mackenzie and Liesel Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Takatani, and Matt Tuukaiki in Auckland. We hope you enjoyed the show.
0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand
1: On the Air.